All right, here is our final session on reading the Bible for all it's worth. Here we're trying to take everything we learned about the whole interpretive process. Um, what do we want to do when we come to Scripture to really try to understand what it is and how do we put the pieces together? So I want to do that by using an example, a passage, a familiar passage for many, Romans 12, 1 and 2. Um, such a great passage. And what I want to do is try to just simulate here what it would look like to walk through a passage of scripture and try to do all these steps. Now, the most valuable thing is going to be you doing this on your own. And so I just encourage you, uh, get out there and just do it with a bunch of different passages. But I thought it might be helpful to try to sort of lead through it like this um, so that you get a sense of maybe maybe how I would do it and, and, and what decisions I might make or what things I might check into. Um, and then the value is just a lifetime spent uh, doing this more and more refining it. I, I think I said before, but I want to say again, Uh, This isn't the, I don't go this formal through things usually myself. Um, It is so great to have a formal process, but I don't usually um, P, O, I, M, you know, I don't, I don't always like separate the steps as much. I I think to some extent it becomes intuitive after a while. I think there's something really healthy about learning the structure and making sure you're checking these boxes so that you're asking the right things and you're, you're kind of teaching yourself some habits of doing it. But, um, you know, as I prepare a sermon, for example, I'm I'm all week long, I'm reading the passage, I'm praying about the passage, I'm making observations about the passage, I'm taking notes based on what I'm doing, I'm checking commentaries, I'm going back to observations. So even some of the stuff I've said about, you know, don't, don't read commentaries to the end of your process. Um, sometimes I follow that, I try to follow it, I try not to make the commentaries the first thing that I do. Um, but, but just, you know, it gets kind of jumbled up in my week. And so I love, I, I get every passage I get to preach on, I get this week of sitting with the word of God in this specific passage. And it's really beautiful. I love it. Um, there's no substitute for it. Um, but, but what it looks like, it's not always as structured as this. And so I just want to say that before we walk through a, a very structured example of it. But I still think this poema process is very helpful to make sure that we um, are identifying key points in the journey. Uh, to make sure we're not skipping steps or missing things. Um, and then, and then, yeah, there's sometimes where it's just, man, I need to sit down with this structure and open it up. So let's look at what it would look like to apply this point of process to Romans 12, 1 and 2. I'm going to read it out of the English Standard Version. Here's what it says. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, that's a great passage of scripture. Let's see what we can dig into and what we find when we do it. So I'm going to start us with the P, the preparation, okay? And we're going to prepare ourselves. So the first thing we're going to do is we're going to prepare our hearts. And so I'm going to ask you just even as you're listening along here, um, take a minute just to consider this. You're about to enter into the presence of God. I mean, really, he's already here with us, right? He's there before you hit play on this whole thing. But think about the fact that right now we're going to sit down and we're going to read God's words in his presence. Remind yourselves, like what you're about to hear when you, when you reapproach these verses, when you listen to them, what we're about to hear is the voice of God. We're going to try to loosen your grip as much as you can on trying to control your life on trying to pursue your own preferences. And how do we just release that to the Lord? He's going to speak to us in what we're about to hear. How does that change the way that we're prone to listen? And, and so if I'm doing this on my own, I would take a few minutes to, to just sit there and, and, and contemplate these things. 
Um, and then I want to reflect in prayer some, okay? And what that would look like is pray that God would meet you in your studies, right? Pray that this wouldn't be an academic thing that you're about to do, but pray that, God, I'm about to read your words. Would you meet me in this? Would this be a time of fellowship and connection with you? May I not just learn about you, but may I learn like knowing you truly directly. May I know you through this process. Ask God to speak to you through his word. Lord, you spoke these words so long ago. Would you speak them to me now? Help me to hear your voice in what's being said. I pray also that God would convict you and guide you into a healthy response to his word. So Lord, before I even look at these verses and try to tease out what they're actually saying, would you just lead me and guide me into a proper response and a proper relationship to what I'm about to read, what I'm going to hear you say, all right? So that's what the preparation phase looks like, okay? And we stop and we keep in mind, okay, the voice of the Lord. And then we read, and I'm going to do it again. With all that in mind, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So in the preparation stage, we're, we're ready to hear those words. Now we've heard them. Okay, so now we're going to make observations on this passage. Um, what I was taught in seminary is uh, you make a list of 30 applications or 60 applications, you know, or, sorry, not ap- applications, but observations, right? Just things that are there in the text. And so you might do that. Um, that's often what I do in my own uh, sermon prep is just make observations, pull out different things that are there. And they can be mundane or they could be uh, insightful. So here, here's just a, a handful of some of the things that I noted about this passage. It starts with a therefore, and that, that seems to connect back to the preceding context. I don't know what that means yet or why that's significant, but I note that that's there. It starts with a therefore. Second, Paul calls his readers brothers. Interesting term there, right? The verse makes an appeal. That's another observation. Um, Paul is the one specifically himself who is making the appeal, right? It's not Jesus doing it or God. It's Paul making the appeal. Um, no, fifth observation, the appeal is based in mercies, right? And then another observation, these mercies belong to or come from God, right? They're called the mercies of God. And we have to tease out what that means, but both of those things, it's important to see. The appeal specifically is to present our bodies. Okay. That's the pr- appeal that's being made. Um, the bodies, bodies are, are like what people are meant to present to God, the listeners of it. Um, this presentation of bodies is called a living sacrifice, Um, the sacrifice, uh, that they make is to be living. It's also to be holy. It's also to be acceptable. So these are all observations that we're piling up. We're trying to just see, remember what is actually being said. Okay. Um, and as we go through this whole thing, um, there's so many just pieces that we can draw. There's a, but in there that gives a contrast in this whole thing. Um, we can see verse two, there's two commands in it. Um, not to be conformed, but to be transformed. Okay. So there's a couple of commands there. We're going to point that out and notice that. Um, and so all, all of these things like transformed is, uh, is uh, contrasted with conformed. Um, the world is contrasted with renewed minds. Um, and, and so all these things um, we go through and we just make as many observations as we can. And remember we said at this phase, you're going to see things that you're going to be like, okay, I've got a list of 10 observations. Um, I think that's about it, right? But the longer you sit, the more you see. 
Um, and so taking time to find, it doesn't have to be 30, right? Uh, but setting a, a goal of, okay, I'm going to go till I've run out of observations to make, and then I'm going to sit an extra 15 minutes in this passage, just trying to find what else is there. What have I not noticed yet? And um, man, such a great opportunity. So really all you're doing is just looking, 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 thinking, 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 praying, and um, just seeing what you can notice about the passage. Okay. So now based on those initial um, observations, I often come away with some questions that I have. Okay. So some questions I think we need to answer about this is when he says, therefore, in the beginning, how much of the preceding context is being referenced there? So I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, how much of that preceding context does that therefore refer back to? That's something I'm going to have to figure out as I'm trying to interpret it. Uh, what, what are the mercies of God? What's meant by that in this passage? That's a great phrase, but what does it mean? Uh, what, is it, what would it mean to present our bodies? I think that's a key question that I have. What would it mean to present my body? Um, that's a tough one that we don't answer through observation, but we notice it and we say, okay, that's a question I'm going to have to try to figure out as we go. Um, what would a living sacrifice be? All right, that's a really great question. What, you know, a sacrifice is a dead thing. What would a living sacrifice look like? Um, similarly, he uses the phrase spiritual worship. What is that? Um, as opposed to non-spiritual worship, like what, what does that look like? Um, how are our minds renewed? Because he says, you know, uh, be transformed by the renewal of our minds. But how does that happen? What does it look like? Um, I also wonder what the what the second half of verse two is getting at, right? That that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. I, I'm not sure what that means yet. So I've made observations about it, but like, how am I going to interpret that? So these are a list of questions, and it might be great for you to, as you're studying a passage, come up with a list of questions that you're saying, I, I'm not sure what this is yet. Let's let's figure that out, and and you can keep referring back to that whole thing. Okay, so now. We've done preparation. We've done observation. Now we're into the phase of interpretation. And um, remember, we had a, a, like a little process here. So the first thing when we're interpreting, we want to build the background for the thing. Okay? So the setting. And, and now how, how do you find this out? So you can find all this out by reading uh, the letter of Romans several times. Um, it's all in there. It says, said is that it's written by Paul. It said that it's written to the church in Rome. Um, it talks about, honestly, who carried the letter. He greets certain people. So there's a lot of context there. So definitely reading the letter is great. Um, also, this is where commentaries uh, come in really handy and Bible dictionaries and study Bibles. There, there's like an ESV study Bible is a great resource to have um, where you can just like look into, it has an introduction to the book and it'll tell you who wrote it, when, who they wrote it to. It'll tell you what's you know speculative there, what's disagreed upon, but it'll really orient you to a lot of that. And, and again, like I said, they, they all get it from reading the letter and from knowing some basic background stuff, but it really does help to have some of these key resources to do. I, I would say if you're like getting started and studying the Bible, something like the ESV study Bible, and there's lots of good study Bibles out there, um, is a great tool to have. It's a big, big old book with notes before each book of the Bible and notes at the bottom of each page that help kind of explain or orient you to some of the key things in different passages. So, um, so what's the setting in this? Um, Paul is writing to a church in Rome. He's never visited the church, but he wants to get them to help him uh, bring the gospel to Spain. And we get into that into the latter part of the book. Um, and it's all in the context of the early church. So if we're thinking the big picture of like what God's doing in the world, the word of God is spreading. Jesus has uh, died and raised again. Uh, the word of God is spreading all over the place. The spirit is empowering his church to continue the mission of making disciples. Gospels going from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria, and now it's going um, like 
to Rome, which is basically the ends of the earth. And Paul's saying, like, I want to go beyond that to Spain and, and even beyond. And so um, that that sort of formula that we see in Acts one eight is is being becoming a reality in this whole thing. All right. So the purpose of the letter, that's the kind of the setting of the purpose of it. Like what we can find from the letter itself is that Paul's saying, like, I, I want to get your help. I'm trying to go to Spain and I'd like you guys to help me um, do that. And so he takes that opportunity to explain the gospel to them. I want to take the gospel to Spain. Here's what this gospel is. Here's how it's transformed you. Um, and so he he explores like how Jesus brings us into a right relationship with God. That's what the whole letter is about. Now, again, I'm saying it and I believe it. You can get all that by reading the book of Romans. Um, uh and, but it's it's kind of a circular thing, or maybe it's a spiral, right? Where you you read it and get the context, and you read it again, and you kind of get more. And the more you study the book, the more you see in it. That's certainly true. Um, but you know, if you get the opportunity to study just these two verses, a good study Bible will help you kind of see the context. You can even read section headings prior and get some sense of what's come before uh, in the whole thing. Um, but obviously, if you're doing it, uh, you know, the best possible way. You'll start Romans 1.1, and you're just going to read, and you're going to study a passage at a time, and you're going to watch how the whole thing builds and fits together. All right, so that interpretive uh, first step in the interpretation process is building the background. Now we're going to set the context, okay? So we're going to look at the preceding context, like what's coming up to it. And so at this point, uh, leading up to this point in the letter, Paul's been explaining the gospel. So the, the kind of theme verse in, in Romans is Romans 116, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Um, he talks about the righteousness of God being revealed uh, in chapter one there. Um, and that, that idea of like um, the righteousness of God uh, being revealed, like the righteous people shall live by faith. That really takes his attention all the way through chapter eight, but he does stop and explain the wrath of God um, from verse 18, the wrath of God being revealed against all ungodliness and right, unrighteousness of men all the way through like chapter three, verse 20. And so there's this big section on the wrath of God in there, but the main point of the first eight chapters is this is what it looks like for the righteous to live by faith, um, for, for God to... Um, you know, bring, use the gospel to be this power uh, to save his people. In chapters nine through 11, he, he stops to kind of explain how God's love can be unfailing. Um, that's what it says at the end of chapter eight, like his love, like nothing can separate us from the love of God. But now he's saying in chapters nine through 11, like, okay, look, God's love, yes, never fails. Um, but we're seeing that like Israel, the people of God have largely rejected the Messiah. And so like, how is God's love of failing if these people are separated and cut off and rejecting God? And so Paul addresses that objection in Romans 9, 10, and 11. Um, and then he ends chapter 11 with this doxology, this basic praise, um, statement about like, man, God is, um, amazing and no one's known his mind. And like, he's just showing like the, the, the mystery and the beauty of who God is. Um, he says, Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments, how inscrutable his ways. And so he's just praising God at the end of all that. And then, uh, when we get to the chapter we're in chapter 12 verses one and two, he begins to launch us into application. So if we look at the following context, what's going to come after this passage, we see Paul's like addressing practical issues, a lot of practical issues. Um, talks about living in unity as the body of Christ. That comes in chapter 12 later in this chapter. Um, he talks about submitting to governing authorities. Like what's our relationship there in chapter 13? Talks about using our freedom in Christ uh, wisely in chapter 14. Um, and then explains like his ministry in chapters 15 and 16. So we can see this verse then is like the hinge. It's like a hinge for the book between 
this lead up of explaining this doctrinal depth of the gospel and how it works. Um, and then before he gets into addressing the practical concerns, tra- chapter or chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, our passage is a hinge point. Um, he looks back at the preceding theological discussion and begins here to make it practical. And, and the, the practical focus remains for the rest of the book. And um, and so that helps us to kind of frame, okay, oh, this is what I'm looking at then is, is this key kind of moment in it. Now, again, how do you get there? Reading the book. I mean, you can read this, the, the section headings in your Bible. Your Bible likely has section headings. Those aren't part of the actual text, but they're added by translators to kind of help you get oriented and find the sections that you're looking for. Um, but they can help in sort of summarizing and getting the lay of the land somewhat, but there's really no substitute for reading it yourself. Again, um, you know, a good, a good study Bible or something like that can help uh, give you the big picture too. All right. So we have... Uh, set the context after we built the background. Now we're going to, uh, next phase in interpretation is we're going to work with a paragraph. All right. And conveniently for us, Romans 12, one and two form sort of a small paragraph that we can work with. All right. Now, one of the steps we said there was write a paraphrase of it. Okay. So th- at this point it doesn't have to be perfect, right? We're trying to express in normal language, what the verses are saying. We're not giving a translation of it. We're saying, if I was going to explain this to a friend, how would I restate these words? Now, what this is going to do is at this point, we don't know enough about the passage to really paraphrase it perfectly. Um, because, you know, like we said, we, we don't know what the mercies of God means exactly. Um, we don't know what, what spiritual worship is exactly. Um, but what it's going to do when we try to paraphrase it, it's going to clue us into the parts that we really don't understand that well yet. So there's some, some parts it's going to help us. We're going to be like, okay, I feel like that I know what this is getting at. Other parts we're like, boy, I don't know what this is getting at at all. And um, so we're just alerted to that as we try to um, paraphrase it. Next thing we're going to do is look at a handful of translations, okay? And we're going to see um, that, you know, different translations interpret these, uh, these uh, translate these phrases in different ways, okay? So, um, for example, in my ESV, it says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. Now, brothers has a footnote by it, which is great, and it says, or brothers and sisters. The reality there is that the term uh, Adelphoi that's used, uh, brothers, it, it doesn't mean brothers like male people, male siblings. It means brothers and sisters. That's really what it means. I think the ESV is trying to be avoid the cumbersome way of saying brothers and sisters. But the unfortunate side effect of that is you might think, oh, this is for the males, right? Um, and so thankfully, they put a footnote in there. Um, you'll see like the NIV will often say brothers and sisters. It spells it out because they don't want to give the impression that this is gender exclusive. And so um, so looking at different translations will help you sort that out if you're wondering about it. Um, the NIV will talk about your, um, uh, well, the other translations will talk about your reasonable uh, worship, um, yeah, things like that. And so you're like, boy, that's that's different or your reasonable service for the Lord instead of your spiritual act of worship. And so you kind of get clued into, huh, there's some differences here. I wonder why some say reasonable and some say spiritual. Like that seems like a really different um, approach to that. So looking at translations are going to help us to kind of see, all right, there's some, there's some questions that we're going to need to address here. And we might like one translation more than another. We might like the way it sounds or how it seems to make sense. But we don't want to settle it based on a translation translated it this way. Um, we want to just be identified to the the playing field, so to speak, and the challenges there. Okay, then then from there we want to analyze the key words and phrases. Now, how do you do this? There are um, a good study Bible will give you uh, comments on some key phrases in there. That's helpful, really short. A good commentary on it. Um, 
will address all the kind of key words and phrases in there, anything that's of significance a good commentary is going to suggest. Um, you can Google good commentaries on things. Um, it, it varies so much based on your church tradition. So often the best thing to do is ask a pastor, hey, do you have a commentary I can borrow on this? Um, or, uh, you know, uh, or, or like, what one would you recommend me buy? Um, and so that, that's a great way to do it. There's good Bible software like uh, Logos Bible software, or I'm an Apple guy, I use Accordance Bible software. Great tools. You can buy all these resources on there. You can use them. Um, they can be a little intimidating if you're not uh, familiar with it, and it can be expensive to buy it all, but those are all options. Um, the, the other thing I would say is um, in trying to assess uh, all these things, there's this cool resource called stepbible.org. And it is a um, free resource online, stepbible.org. And it lets you uh, look at the passage. It'll show you what the Greek or Hebrew word is. The New Testament was written in Greek. Old Testament was written in Hebrew. It'll show you what that word is. It'll give you a a link to some explanation about it. And that can help you kind of dig into this. I would just say, be careful. Um, if If you haven't studied Greek for any length of time, it's really easy to see um, oh, okay, this is what this Greek word could mean, and you could make some pretty uninformed conclusions based on it. But what it will do is give you a lay of the land and everything else. I would say it's safer in general to have a commentator explaining what the word means, why they think it means that here, um, than for you to click around on a Bible software in the Greek and Hebrew and not really know the context or what it's getting at, or, or like, you know. But I also think so healthy for us to explore and experiment and listen to it. I would just say, Take your conclusions and your findings with humility and talk to a pastor about it. Talk to a friend about it. Uh, read the commentaries based on what you read. Um, there's there's no harm in us digging into these things. And there's only like, there's so much treasure to be found there. Um, I think it's just coming at it with the humility of saying, okay, you know what? This is a language with which I'm not familiar. And, um, and so being willing to like not make these massive assumptions about it. Now, I've done, uh, thankfully for you, the, the work of kind of analyzing some of these keywords and phrases. So I'm just going to walk you through a, free, a few that I found. So the phrase, uh, the mercies of God, okay? And that's really a great translation of, of it is. It, it really just means the mercies of God, right? Um, but one interesting thing that I found in looking at that is the word mercy is plural. So it's not just mercy singular, like a one act of God, but the mercies of God. And so it's like the, the acts, I guess, by which God is merciful to us. So here's an example where you dig in. You're like, what does the Greek word, the mercies of God, mean? You're like, oh, it means mercies of God. And that's so often is the case. Um, but but that still, it sets us on a course. And okay, well, more than one mercy. That's what we know. And they, these mercies come from God. That's a beautiful thing. Um, to present, the word present is in there. Um, it means to set, to offer, to present. So again, great translation. Good job, translators. Um, and and uh, one thing I found in digging around a little bit is that that word can be used of sacrifices. You would present a sacrifice. And that's literally what Paul's telling us to do here. A living sacrifice, uh, another phrase I had curiosity about, it means living sacrifice. And that's just what it means. Okay. And so it's a straightforward phrase. And, and we're left with wrestling with, man, what is the significance of that? Uh, spiritual worship um, is actually really interesting. The, the actual Greek word for spiritual is logicon. Um, and that's so fascinating because you can hear the word logic in there. So you can see why some translations say reasonable worship or reasonable service um, as opposed to spiritual. Okay. Um, and so translations call it spiritual, reasonable. Um, they call it worship. They call it service. Um, and th- th- that word can be both. So spiritual, it seems to be getting at something that comes from reason or logic. Um, so that's really interesting. I think there's an emphasis on that 
logical or let's say mental side, maybe a non-material side. And that's where the idea of spiritual kind of comes from in that. Um, like it, it designates something that comes from the soul seems to be the implication more than from the body. So this is less about your physical act of offering a sacrifice, but it's more your um, soul-produced act of worship. Does that make sense? And so in in English, it actually makes a lot of sense for me to say your um, spiritual worship. That, that makes actual sense to me, um, maybe more so than your logical worship, because logical for me or reasonable uh, feels seems to imply, um, um, okay, this this holds up in a philosophy class or something. And really, I think it's trying to talk about the the source, the non-material source of, of the thing. The word worship uh, speaks of service being offered, and, and it's usually in a like uh, uh, temple sort of sacrificial setting. Okay, so you can see now why some translations spiritual worship um, versus reasonable service. Um, the idea is. The service is being offered like in a temple, like in a church service, right? So you're doing this. And so both of them work. I, I like the phrase spiritual worship better. Um, it seems to communicate in English to me, at least, uh, more of what that's about. Um, the idea of being conformed means being conformed or being molded to something. Um, the, he uses the phrase, don't be conformed to this world. Um, and interestingly, what, is, what does he mean by the world? My... Um, my ESV has a footnote here, and it says um, in the Greek, that means age. So don't be conformed to this world. We might think this physical world, um, don't be conformed to gross physical things. And really, Paul's not saying that. He's saying, don't be conformed to this age. Um, and so we get the sense there of maybe like a world system, right? It's not between the physical world and the heavenly world, but between like the present age of things and the age to come, right? And that's actually a common distinction in the New Testament. So it's less about don't do physical things. Um, and that's often been a, a thing in the church. Um, but he's just saying like, hey, don't let the world systems or the way the world is now get you down. And, and you know, here we are in the 21st century and we wrestle with that. Man, the world is such a dark place. It's interesting that he's saying this 2,000 years ago and he's still saying, hey, don't, don't do the things that this age does, um, uh, the word transform I looked up. I, I'm, I was interested in what that looks like. Um, metamorphosis is the, the uh, comes from this same Greek word. It sounds a lot like that. Um, and so it means to change uh, form or to transfigure, uh, to be transformed, really. So good translation, once again. Um, re- renewal of your mind. Um, renewal really means, it does mean renewal. It means renovation. It means a changing of it. Um, and so there we go. Like you're, you're, Mind is renewed, meaning your mind's being changed, it's being transformed, um, renovated. Um, kind of an interesting term to use there. Uh, the word prove, um, you know, that, that, that's, you know, one of the questions I had is what does the second half of the passage mean? Um, but, uh, be transformed by the renewing of your mind that by testing, <clears throat> you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Some, some uh, translations say that you may prove uh, what is the, the will of God. And so that word uh, means to test or examine or prove. So all those are great translations. But, um, it, you know, one of the nuances there is it could mean recognize to be genuine after having tested it. Um, and some dic- dictionaries say maybe that doesn't apply here. Maybe it does. But we get the sense of proving um, or discerning, it's it's maybe less about finding out and it's more about like, uh, you know, testing it and then finding out what, what it really is at the end of that. So I guess it is about finding out, it just depends on what you mean by that, right? So, all right, 
there you go. We, uh, we've dug into some of the key phrases there. Now you'll see that that helps us actually a lot. There's some things that we kind of got out of that. It doesn't make all the decisions for us. And the key is you can't find the meaning of a passage just through word studies. You can't just figure out what each word means and then be like, okay, cool. I understand the passage now. The, the hardest work is saying, okay, this is what these words can mean. Now, what do they mean here, right? What is this unique usage of the words in, in this grammar, in this, this sentence structure, in this context? What, how are they being used here? And that's the key thing, okay? So we're, we're now in this next phase of interpretation where we're going to find the flow of thought. We're going to ask, what's the logic of this passage, okay? Um, so here's what he's saying. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God. Here's my way of summarizing it. Because of what God, because of everything God has done for us. I think that's what he's saying. By, by the mercies of God, I appeal to you. Um, so he's saying, I think what he's getting at, the logic of this passage is because of everything that God has done for us, we ought to offer ourselves to him and live for his will or according to his will. I think that's what the logic of this passage is saying. And then I think the following context, the verses that come after are going to explain more of what it looks like to live these transformed lives. It gets very practical after this. And so I think he's setting a tone. God's done all these amazing things. Look at what I've explained in chapters one through 11. Because of that, let's offer ourselves to God, figuring out what his will for us is. And then he goes on to explain some of that. That's that's my best uh, attempt at summarizing the logic of the passage. So what is the passage actually saying? I think um, in the flow of thought and all this kind of stuff, I think that like because God has bestowed so much mercy upon us, as explained in the previous context, our logical response is to offer our bodies to God as sacrifices that are living, holy, and acceptable to God. This is our reasonable act of service or worship to God. Then when I look at verse two, I say it like this, along these lines, we should not be acting the way people who belong to this age act. Instead, we should be transformed as our minds are renovated so that we can search and examine what God's will is, which means everything that is good and acceptable and perfect from God's perspective. Now that's me writing that down. Um, That was my best attempt at saying, I think this is what these passages are really saying here, the flow of thought in them, the logic of the passage, and then what's actually being stated here. That's my best attempt at this point to kind of say, I think this is what's being said here. All right. Now, um, we want to, we said we want to consult other passages. Okay. We're going to look at other sources. So one thing we want to do other passages. Okay. Um, so actually we've already been doing this to some extent because we've been trying to understand like what some of the individual term means. So a lot of looking up these terms is people saying, okay, this is used in that passage. Here's what it means. Um, but, uh, there's, you know, other important verses to consider, along these lines, the, the idea of, of uh, present yourself, like he uses that in Romans 6, talking about don't don't present your bodies as instruments to unrighteousness, but present them to God. So Paul's used that term in Romans chapter 6. That would be great to look up and kind of sit with. Um, the idea of reasonable or spiritual service, um, uh, th- that actual same word is used in 1 Peter 2.2. 2. Um, that's worth looking up in, in, in how we go through it. The idea of service or worship that's used, um, we see it in John 16. Um, Paul actually used it in Romans 9. It comes out in Hebrews 9 as well. And so how do you find these usages of the word? Uh, you can use a concordance. Um, so you can, you can literally um, uh, do a Google search on um, you know, this word in there and it'll show up. You can use a resource, a free resource like BibleGateway.com, and you can search for a word or a phrase. Um, what's tricky there is you're searching for the English word and not necessarily the Greek or the Hebrew word. 
And so um, what what these resources will do is they have a thing called Strong's numbers. Um, Strong took all the Greek and Hebrew letters in the Bible or, or words and assigned them a number. And so there's resources that will show you the Strong's number, and that will show you the number of that Greek word. And you can search for where else is that Greek word used, and you can find um, how it's looked up. Because if you just search in English, right, you search for worship, there's more than this this word, uh, logikos, uh, can mean worship, but sometimes it means, um, you know, reasonable, right? Or I'm sorry, uh, worship, uh, th- I'm talking about the word spiritual here. <laughs> Logikos can mean spiritual or it can mean reasonable, right? So um, doing a search for just that, you you might, well, there's other words for spiritual um, that, that are different than that. Um, pneumatikos is another word in the New Testament that's used for spiritual. So you're not going to see every time, uh, you, you might get the wrong impression is all I'm trying to say. So strong numbers can help. You can search that in BibleGateway.com. The Step Bible will show you um, the Greek or Hebrew word that's being used. You can put your cursor or your finger on it, um, and it'll show you uh, what, it, what it means, and it often will give you other references to where that same word is used. So there's ways to kind of figure out how these terms are used. And also, it is okay to talk about, um, look up other u- other words for spiritual Um doesn't have to be just this Greek word because the concept of something that's spiritual can be helpful. But all we're doing is just trying to find, you know, what other passages might I look at that might uh, help me see kind of how this word can be used or, or make some of these tough decisions. Um, e- even that can look like um, the idea of offering a living sacrifice. Is there anything else along those lines in the Bible? Um, or you might look at the sacrificial passages in the Bible. Where else is the concept of sacrifice and what does that look like? And so then how do I take the idea of a sacrifice of an animal and think of that as someone presenting their body as a living sacrifice? And all these are ways to compare and contrast, to let scripture interpret scripture to get the big picture, to find some insights that way. All right. Then the other suggestion I made is you can consult other commentaries. And I think this is really important because sometimes, man, you you feel like you're on this great track. I'll totally get it. And then you'll read commentaries that will say, you know, some people think this, but here's why that's not a great interpretation. And sometimes I've had that happen where I'm really excited and I'm like, oh gosh, they just addressed the very thing that I was becoming convinced that this meant. And I think their logic is pretty great. And I, I, I think that they're right. I, I was misunderstanding it. So it can be a good check. Now, again, uh, a good... Uh, study Bible will orient you to a lot of that, and it will uh, you know help you kind of sort through some of those things. Um, but like I said, there really isn't a substitute for commentaries. And there's commentaries that go super in depth; they're huge. Uh, they they like use Greek and Hebrew words as though the reader knows what they are, and so that's going to be tough for you if you don't know those languages. Um, but there's others that are more um, simple level. And like I said, it, it, most pastors will have a great recommendation for you on that. They might even have a commentary that you can borrow or look at. Um, you can Google around. There are some commentaries that are available for free. They tend to be older ones that are a little bit outdated, but they're still helpful. Um, and so you can do all those things and you can get a sense of it. I, I did my own um, work on that, um, but I, I won't you know bore you with all that kind of stuff here. But I definitely gained some significant insight um, uh, through the whole thing. Um, and so I think the idea that is you're just trying to check what you're doing. You're trying to gain some more insight. Um, and, and you're trying to just kind of get, um, you know, different perspectives. I'll, I'll give you a couple for instances. Um, uh, the Expositor's Bible Commentary on this, uh, it, it points out that when Paul says, I appeal to you, it points out Paul's using emotional language there. That's something that I, I could get myself, right? But it's like, oh, I didn't think about that. He's making an appeal. He's not just saying, this is what I'd like you to do. He's saying, I appeal to you. That's an emotionally strong term. So Paul cares about this, right? It's more 
personal than just a uh, bare command um, would be. Um, uh, Tom Schreiner, uh, reading his commentary on this passage, he says that when Paul calls us to present our bodies, he's saying that's not a reference to just our physical self as opposed to our spiritual self. He's saying really that's a reference to our whole selves. Like present your bodies is like an idea of like give your whole self to it, not just a piece of you. Um, now you could disagree with that, but he makes a big argument in there. And that's the conclusion that I gleaned from reading his commentary on it. And so I guess what I'm trying to say is you can see how um, reading these things can give you a sense of what the passage is actually getting at. Now, I, in this case, um, I, I have the advantage of having worked through all this before. I think what, when I, a minute ago, when I talked about um, what the passage is actually saying, I think I nailed it with that. I still love that interpretation of it. Um, I could be wrong and, uh, and you might have something better or different, but I, you know, my conclusion, the whole thing is okay. I think that's what's happening in the whole thing. So that's where I'm going to close out my interpretation phase for now. Uh, preparing ourselves to hear the word of God, observing what's in the passage and wrestling with these interpretive things. Okay, now we're at a point where we're saying, and I'll, I guess I'll just read kind of uh, my conclusion on what the passage is saying. Verse one, I think is getting at this. Because God has bestowed so much mercy upon us, as explained in the preceding context, our logical response is to offer our bodies to God as sacrifices that are living, holy, and acceptable to God. This is our reasonable act of service or worship to God. The second verse, verse two, I think is getting at this. Along these lines, we should not be acting the way people who belong to this age act. Instead, we should be transformed as our minds are renovated so that we can search and examine what God's will is, which means everything that is good and acceptable and perfect from God's perspective. All right. I understand it's not super helpful for me just to read it like that, but that's, that's me taking the fruit of my study and, and the, the insight I gained from the other commentaries and from my wrestling and all those kinds of things saying, hi, this is what I think is happening there. Okay. So I've kind of completed that interpretation stage. Now it's time for the meditation stage. Okay. And so what I, what I would do here is uh, close my eyes and, and like run through my own summary of the passage in my mind. Okay. So now that I've done the work of doing this, like, what do I think the passage is saying? And I, I might read the passage slowly and think about some of the implications of these things. And I'm trying to just let myself sit with the passage. Now that I've wrestled with it and I have a better sense of what's happening here, how can this hit me again? Opening myself up to it again, reminding myself again, this is, these are the, the words of God, the voice of God. He's speaking to me. So what's hitting me the hardest in all this? Um, I might walk through some of the key phrases and like process those before the Lord. Um, I might ask him, Lord, like highlight some truth or point of application in this for me. Lord, what, what in this, I've looked at all these things, like what word or phrase do you want to impress upon me in this? You know, what's the emphasis? What would you underline for me in this passage? And just taking that time to sit for the Lord doing that. Um, ask God how he feels about this passage. Lord, what, what's your heart in this? Um, how do you feel about that? What do you, how do you feel about what I just learned? Uh, ask him, how he, does he want you to feel? <laughs> Lord, how do you want me to feel now that I've read this? What, what do you want me to do? And I think it's just going through that process. You can do the whole Lectio Divina process. I think it's beautiful to do that. And just all it is, is taking extra time with the passage and asking God to speak to you, reading it again and again, and just asking the Lord, bring this to the front of my mind. Lord, speak to me through it. Help me to, to find the emphases in there that you want me to see. And we're going to ask ourselves, like, do, I, do we feel, do I feel God nudging you at all? Like, for myself personally, often I can't tell the difference between my own thoughts or God's nudging. 
Um, but, you know, I, I'm not sure there's a huge difference between asking God to guide us and then like as we ask God guide us and then as we have thoughts come into our minds, I might not say, oh boy, that sure sounds like God to me, but it's like, okay, I asked God to guide me. And then these thoughts came into my mind. I'm going to take them seriously and I'm going to wrestle with that. And I'm going to um, use this as an opportunity to pray and interact with God. Um, and, and remember, we're doing this on the basis of his word, right? He's just spoken to us through his actual words. So we're just asking him, Lord, take this uh, material and just make it come alive to me a little bit more. Speak to me a little bit more about it. Nudge me with it. Make it um, come real and fresh and alive uh, in my heart. Okay, that's what we're doing in the meditation phase. And that can take as long or as short as you want. But I would just say, um, give yourself time to do it well. I think it's a beautiful thing. And then our last step in the whole thing is application, once again. So we're going to apply the passage. Okay, so if I was going to obey this passage, this passage conveniently has um, a couple of statements that ground it, and then it has a couple of commands for us. Namely, the commands are... uh, He's, he's appealing, begging us to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. And then he's saying, don't be conformed. And he's telling us, be transformed. So those three things are commands that are in the passage. And so if I'm going to obey those, what do I need to do, right? Is there a specific area of my life that I, um, that I need to present to God, right? I, I really, I need to present all of myself is what it's saying, right? So which part of my whole self am I holding back from God? Um, that'll give me an application point. It might be how I use my money. It might be how I use my time. It might be what my mind thinks about in a lustful moment. What do I need to offer to God and say, Lord, this is yours, all of me. It's a sacrifice. Um, often there's multiple applications that we need to make, right? Um, am I being conformed to this world, to this age? Um, absolutely I am. I mean, it would be crazy to think that I'm not being conformed to this world. So Lord, please speak to me. What, what areas am I being conformed? And this is where, boy, you could preach a hundred sermons on this passage and put a hundred different applications of this is what it looks like. This is the way that you, uh, church family are being conformed to the world right now, most likely. And you could do a hundred different things and probably be right a hundred different times. Um, and so it's, it's a process of asking the Lord, speak to me about that. Help me to see what that application is, both for myself and for anybody that I'm ministering to. Now, we can ask questions like, are there principles that we need to be applied, truths that need to be believed, stories that need to feed my soul, emotions that need to be felt? So remember, we talked about all those kinds of things. And here I would say, man, the idea of uh, an appeal based in the mercy of God is such a cool principle. That's something I want to sit with and, and, and recognize the thought of like, man, Lord, you've done so much. I'm going to be aware of your mercies that you pour out to me all the time. That's a great principle to walk away from that. God's mercies are a basis for my action. I, I love the way Paul grounds that. And so that becomes a principle that I want to do. Now there's, that, that's a truth that's in here, right? Um, uh, a truth that's in here is, is the idea that I mean, God's mercies are poured out for us. And so these kinds of things then become, you know, there's clear commands that we can obey here, but there's also um, a lot of other ways that this can shape us. Um, great to have an action point to walk away from, or even just take a minute before you close your Bible and walk away to say, okay, Lord, um, one minute of silence, Lord, uh, give me one thing that you want me to do right now, um, or, or today or whatever. And, um, and just try to follow him in that. Um, doesn't mean that we're suddenly perfect in obeying the passage, right? But this is a vital step in the whole thing. All right. Well, thank you for hanging with me on this whole thing. Um, I, I think it's helpful to kind of see an A for instance on how this whole process can be pieced together. Um, so much more you could do there. You can now do this with any passage in the Bible. It's a beautiful, it's a great exercise. Um, and again, like I said, it's not about following every step 
uh, to completion in order. Um, for me, it's about giving yourself categories to think, questions to ask, um, boxes to make sure you've checked to make sure that as we're trying to understand a passage as well as we can, uh, that we're doing the best. And, and I think I want to just end this whole thing by saying, also don't do it completely by yourself. You know, there's an individual aspect to this where we want to know the word of God for ourselves, but um, share it with somebody, share what you learned, ask questions of somebody else. Um, there's so much that we can gain. The same way that checking commentaries helps us kind of guard against some weird interpretations. Also, coming to the people around us uh, that we love and respect and trust and saying, hey, how does this speak to you? Um, what are you seeing in this that I'm missing? Um, tell me if I, this sounds off to you. And and that sort of community processing of it can be huge. Uh, and then finally, dependence on the spirit is so huge. Remember, the point is not to get to a place where you uh, feel like you understand the passage. That's important, but it's not the point. The point is not to identify an application point, um, although that's also important. The point is um, living our lives in a relationship with God and and in accordance with his voice uh, when he calls us to do something, doing what it says and walking with him. And that that's, that's the whole point, walking with the Lord. And so he's going to direct us. He's going to call us. He's going to lead us. So as we study the word of God, we want him to be leading and directing us and we want to follow in his steps. There you go. I hope that this helps you in your journey to uh, live a life where you're reading the Bible for all it's worth. That's that's the beautiful part of it. I hope it, this opens up doors for a lifetime of uh, fruitful study and engagement with God's word, which is his voice speaking to us. And that's a beautiful thing.